Hello to all my very loyal podcast fans. I know some of you may be asking what happened to my podcast. I know I've disappeared a couple times throughout the year, and as I've made some pretty big decisions in my life, I'll be pretty open with what's going on. Well, this spring I spent a lot of time applying to law schools. That, combined with stress over the pandemic and some other personal matters, slowed down my podcasting. I finally got back to podcasting when this summer I made a last-minute decision to take back my deferral and start law school this fall. The few weeks before law school were pure chaos, and I didn't have time to release another episode letting everyone know it was happening. Now that things are settling down just a bit, I'm hoping to get back to my podcast. I won't have a schedule for releasing episodes anymore, at least not while I'm in law school. Instead, I'll be releasing the episodes as available, and I'm planning for Season 2 to be a 12-episode season. I'm also looking forward to some really incredible ideas that I have for Season 3. I've also toyed with the idea of having a theme that encompasses the entire season, but I'm worried how that might affect the individual stories. Send me an email at talesfromsacredtexts at gmail.com. That's talesfromsacredtexts at gmail.com. If you have some comments on how you want me to explore the new territory of being a full-time law student and also having a podcast. Well, I was in the process of writing my next episode on Cora and Friends when, bam, I have to write a research paper for law school. So that's slowly coming along, but I haven't gotten anywhere close to finishing the Cora episode yet. I thought that giving an update as well as releasing a short supplemental episode would help bring all of you up to speed and hopefully tide over those of you who have told me that you were waiting for a new episode. Okay, update after recording. So this is almost regular episode length. I'm just going to go ahead and make this a shorter regular episode, and we'll continue next time with The Rebellion of Korra like I originally planned, and am still currently working on. So here we go. I'm Caleb Howard, and this is Tales from Sacred Texts, a religious folklore and storytelling podcast. Here, we discuss stories from the Bible, the Apocrypha, and the fine line between myth and history surrounding various belief systems. We take on the stories in a sarcastic and humor-driven way that doesn't take itself too seriously, but still shines a light on the principles and ideology behind the stories and their origin. Today's story is on Flavius Josephus, the wily historian who ingratiated himself with the Romans. His story isn't one of the typical topics that my podcast goes over, as he is fully in the historical category, not the myth category, as he was a real person, and he isn't mentioned in any religious texts. But his writings have been noted by many historians as second to the Bible in understanding the goings-on in ancient Israel. His writing was prolific. In an age where there was little quality history, he was one of the first to produce a history of the Jews as far back as ancient times for a non-Jewish audience but his detailed history was almost never written. Is this story a little morbid? Yes, just a heads up. Josephus rolled his eyes. These freedom fighters were crazy. Like, could they think of any other alternative besides dying? Yes, being crucified by the Romans. We're between a rock and a hard place, Josephus, and we are not trying to get crucified. There's the option of surrender, Josephus broached cautiously. The freedom fighters snapped at him and he cowered back against a corner. He was their commander. 
He had no place to be this much of a coward. They surrendered. Yeah, the Romans might keep them alive. As slaves. If they sacrificed incense to the Caesar or something. And they were Jews. Jews. They worshipped one god, and they were not about to pay homage to Caesar as another god. So, they'd probably end up crucified. And who wanted that? He wasn't quite sure how he'd gotten here. He'd been influential in his youth, even going to meet and negotiate with the Caesar. He was a Pharisee, a very well-respected one, who had even been appointed the governor of Galilee. However, there was violence in the air. Some cities had allied themselves with the Romans, while other bands of Jews fought against the oppressive occupation of Rome. Josephus ended up taking command of the Jewish forces and led them to some victories, but the might of one of the world's most powerful armies ended up taking its toll. Josephus and 42,000 men had retreated to Yodfat, a fortress surrounded on three sides by steep ravines. A huge force of around 60,000 Romans surrounded the fortress, and after an initial assault failed, they began a huge Game of Thrones or Lord of the Rings style siege, with the classic tropes of rocks and hot oil being thrown from the wall, as well as some bizarre mind games such as the Jews giving the middle finger to the Romans' intelligence that the city was short on water by wringing wet clothes out until the walls of the fortress were soaked. But, as all the sieges in movies go, it's always a losing battle and eventually the walls are breached. And that had happened to Josephus that morning. The walls were breached during the foggy, early morning air, and the Romans quickly took control of the fortress, only losing one man. Now, Josephus and 40 of the last remaining men were hiding in a cave, debating what they were going to do. And we'll hear what actually happens right after this. Josephus was decidedly for surrendering to the Romans. He'd had some good experiences with them, and he knew that this was the only chance he had to stay alive, which he was going to do no matter the cost. His men were decidedly against that. First, they were not betraying their people. Second, they didn't want to risk whatever the Romans had in store for them, up to and including crucifixion. The rest of the people were being slaughtered, and the women and children were being made slaves, as enslaving literally anybody available was the bread and butter of the ancient world. They were going to go out on their own terms. Ugh. Josephus rolled his eyes. How were they going to do that? They couldn't really kill themselves because that was a sin. The fellow freedom fighters shrugged. They weren't sure. They were open to suggestions at this point, as long as they would end up dead quickly. That was a weird one. But okay. Josephus had an idea, if they really wanted to hear it. Yeah, they really did. Any moment, and the Romans, who were storming the city, might show up, take them prisoner, and crucify them or something. They were some of the leaders of the rebellion, after all, and the Romans weren't too happy about sitting around for 47 days, watching numerous comrades die from being scalded with hot oil. Josephus decided that they would all stand in a circle, and then every third person would kill the person three places to his left. There's some nice diagrams of how this would work on the internet if you're confused. I'll bring up this story's cultural importance a little later. This would go on until one person remains who, yeah, he wouldn't have to kill himself, but at least the rest of them wouldn't have to commit suicide, which they viewed as a sin. Also, we'll be honest here and say we don't know exactly what happened. Because afterward, when Josephus writes about what he did here, in the third person, crazy people stuff, 
Only crazy people talk about themselves in the third person. And he's like, however, in this extreme distress, he was not destitute of his usual sagacity, but trusting himself to the providence of God, he put his life into hazard in the manner following. And he basically said that he was super smart and he just set up this way that everyone would randomly be killed. And wow, what a miracle. He managed to survive, which is totally in opposition to the it was me because I'm very smart theory that he said two sentences earlier. But a few minutes later, when the violence stopped, Josephus and an accomplice walked out of the cave on their way to surrender to the Romans, the other 39 companions lying dead. While Josephus became a prisoner for a while, his very duplicitous mind kept turning even that to his own advantage. He acted as a negotiator between the Romans and the Jewish resistance during the siege of Jerusalem. He then, wow, had a prophetic vision that God was punishing the Jews and he was giving good favors to the Romans. Vespasian, the general that conquered his people at Yodfat and took him prisoner, was going to be emperor. God said it was going to happen, and it would. Very likely, this was not prophecy, but just some good political observation on the part of Josephus, which he really made the most of. Really, all the ancient tyrants ate up the smallest bit of praise and were wounded almost to the point of physical pain by the slightest criticism. This very cunning act on Josephus' part of foreseeing political events and predicting them turned out very effectively in his favor, as Vespasian was so sure that Josephus hadn't only predicted his rise to power, but somehow made it happen, or had some sort of inside knowledge from God, that he ended up giving him Roman citizenship and changing his name from Yosef ben Matanyahu to Titus Flavius Josephus. The Roman ruling class became his patrons, which is basically a step above slavery and gave him a lot more freedom than he had once had, which he used to write his books. These books contained the history and practices of the Jewish people from the creation of Adam and Eve until the time that Josephus wrote his history in the 70s AD. He omitted sections that might result in anti-Semitic tropes and intended to portray the Jewish people in the best possible light to win support among the non-Jews. The Jews had previously been thought to lack great historical figures and a credible history of their people, and Josephus wrote these books ostensibly to give the Jewish people a boost to their reputation among foreigners. Josephus married several Jewish women, whom he divorced relatively quickly. The final marriage was apparently happy and lasted much longer than the first ones. His legacy is mixed. While some have praised him for the attempt to unite Jewish and Greco-Roman thought, saying that his repentance for his fear of death at Yodfat was genuine and he dedicated the rest of his life to Jewish culture and penance, others have denounced him as a traitor who got what he wanted at the expense of his people. They charge that Josephus was a merely a stuck-up academic who with no intellectual honesty, who did horrible things himself and then criticized his opponents for the tiniest flaws. To them, he is the Jewish Benedict Arnold. Josephus is very important in the historical community, as many of the concepts we accept as fact now were first mentioned by Josephus. For example, the Arab peoples being descended from Ishmael is accepted in a lot of religious circles, but it is not the Bible where we get this information, but Josephus' writing. Josephus is still more important to mathematicians as they create models to determine how to kill people efficiently. The Josephus problem is still discussed, and various versions of it show up in math textbook word problems. For example, 16 allies and 15 enemies are on a ship, and you all agree to go around the circle and throw every 7th person overboard. 
Where do you and your allies need to stand? This has to all be theoretical, because when is this really going to work again? I'm surprised that Josephus pulled it off the first time. My personal view of Josephus is that he was a traitor to his people, but the history that he gave us as a result was invaluable. So he has a mixed legacy of being a bad person who did some good things, as are many of history's most famous figures who weren't bad people who did awful things. Josephus made his mark on history, certainly. If you're a math nerd like me, you can think of the Josephus problem every time I cite him in another podcast episode. Or you can just listen to the episode, which would be a lot easier than thinking about how to escape death in an improbable circle of mutual suicide. Then again, if you ever get into that situation, maybe it's best to have a quick way out in the back of your head at the cost of being termed as a Judas for the next 19 centuries. That's all for today, but hopefully I'll be able to release the episode on the Rebellion of Korah soon. I'm going for a two-parter, but I may try to make episodes a little shorter than 30 minutes due to my shortage of time, in which case Korah might become the first three-part episode I've done. Exciting. I'm looking forward to starting Korah, one of my favorite and one of the most chilling stories in the Bible. It's not chilling because of the violence, though. There's only a standard amount. It's chilling because of the self-reflection that it induces. But we'll wait for the appropriate time to discuss that. Until then, see you next time, and have a wonderful Friday, as always. Credits to myself, Caleb Howard, for script writing and theme music. Special thanks to Anchor Podcasts for providing the music, and to all my amazing supporters for listening to this podcast and putting up with my long absences. I hope to be more regular from now on, or as regular as I can be in law school. Just one more thing. Please subscribe, leave a review, and most of all, share with your friends. All of you gracious listeners are why I continue to produce new content. I greatly appreciate all of you. That's it. I'll see you soon.